Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The Bible says that in the last days, men will heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And when you turn on the TV or you turn on the radio and someone says, I want to talk to you today about being rich and God wants you rich, your ears are tickled. You go, what a coincidence. I want to be rich. God wants me rich. This is great. Today's passage out of 1 Timothy chapter 6 speaks to us about being happy with what we've been given, knowing that no matter our current financial situation, God has promised to provide and be everything we need. And the kind of riches God desires for us are life-giving and eternal. With our next teaching in our series through 1 Timothy, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Lord, we really do love you. We uh, really love being able to gather together and do pray once again that you continue to knit our hearts together, that we might really be able to be the men and women that you have called us to be. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. And as we turn to your word and consider the perils of living for money, Lord, we realize that money cannot satisfy us that if we had all of the money in the world, it would mean nothing if we didn't have you. And there are so much greater things to live for than finances, than money. And we thank you that you have put this passage here, that we might be directed as to how we are to live. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Paul writes to Timothy, a younger pastor in the city of Ephesus, he's writing about the conduct of the church how the church should conduct itself. When we're talking about the church, we're of course not talking about the building, right? We always need to clarify that. When we're talking about the church, we're talking about us. We, the people, are the church. And he's writing to the church about how they're to conduct themselves because we have been entrusted with the greatest call that anyone has ever received, and that is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to pass it on to those that are around us. We are to live for Christ. We are to live to be used by him so that the people that we know would come out of darkness and into the light. The world is full of desperate, lonely, empty people, and God's calling them. The Bible says, and we saw it earlier in 1 Timothy, that God wants all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And God could have chosen anyone to do that, but God has chosen you. And God's chosen me. And as he writes how to conduct himself, he enters into a section on the dangers or the perils of living for money or of loving money. And it's a good section. It's important for us to cover these things. But before he gets there, he talks about another tension in the church. It's a tension that we don't find 2,000 years later in Tucson, Arizona. There in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and slavery was common. We could say of slavery today that it's not common, although doing some research this last week on slavery, did you know that there are 12 million slaves in America today? Most of them from Mexico, which is interesting. And we, a lot of people talk about the sex slave trade, but the majority of them are in a labor slavery where they kind of get trapped because they're afraid of getting caught or sent into prison. And so they kind of get blackmailed and they get trapped 
in this labor kind of a thing. Just kind of a side note. But for the most part, uh, we don't have slavery today like they did. They had very brutal slavery, much like the United States had before the Civil War. Literally, slavery tore our nation apart. But before the Civil War, there were slave owners that began to set their slaves free. Because just as these tensions rose up in the United States and people began to, to debate whether or not it was right or wrong, there were even slave owners that realized that it was wrong. And before they were forced to give it up, they began to set them free. Well, this kind of slavery where one person owns another person was prevalent in their day. So that dynamic is in the church. You have somebody who is a slave owner and you have someone who's a slave in the church. And how does a slave owner treat a slave when they're in church? And how does a slave treat their owner when they are in church? When there's, uh, this is obviously wrong. And so that tension is brought up in the first two verses of chapter six. Now there were other kinds of slavery as well. There was a kind of slavery where you could choose to be a slave. It was called being a bond servant. When Paul called himself a slave of God or a slave of Jesus Christ, Paul used this word. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now we might wonder, why would anybody choose to be a slave? Why would anybody say, you know what, I'm free, but I want to be a slave? Well, there's a very simple answer to that, and that is debt. You could sell yourself into slavery. If you got yourself into a position where you couldn't pay your bills and you were going to be thrown into debtor's prison or you were going to be brought into slavery because of that, you could sell yourself to someone whom you knew who could pay off your debt and you could become a slave. There were also times when slaves were set free. You could earn your freedom. You could pay for your own freedom. And there were times when that happened. And because you had a wife that was a slave or children that were slaves, you might choose to remain in slavery in order to be with your family. There's also another form of slavery, and that is that being in debt, you could just be brought into slavery because you were in debt. Now, if that were the case today, I think maybe we wouldn't be in as much debt as we are in. I think we might be a lot more careful when we got into debt if the result could be that we ended up in slavery. So there's this tension, right, within the church. And what Paul is going to say, he's not going to make an issue of slavery. It's interesting, Jesus didn't get involved in the bad social issues of his day. The early church didn't get too involved in the social issues of their day. Social issues are good to be involved in. It's good for us to be involved in those things, but we must always keep the gospel as the highest priority. And I think that that is what we take away from this, because how do these first two verses apply to us? We don't have slave owners here today, at least I hope not. And uh, if we do, stop it. And if we uh, don't, then how do we apply it? Well, let's read it and we'll look. Verse one, let as many bond servants. So he starts off by talking about those who have chosen to be slaves. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. What is the reason to count them in all honor? He doesn't say count your masters with all honor because it's right. Count them with all honor because they deserve it. He says, for the sake of the doctrine, for the sake of the gospel, Let's not have tension within the church because we want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ set people free. And then he goes on to the second kind of slavery, the more severe kind. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. 
He says, those that have masters that are in church don't despise them. And this would tell us that there was some tension about slavery. I think it's obvious that owning an individual is wrong. And so there was tension there and they could despise their owners. But he says, do what you do unto the Lord, knowing that as you are serving them, you're serving someone who is a believer and that's a good thing. Now, Paul then goes on to say, verse three, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He says that, these are our foundations. These are the things that we teach and we believe. And if anybody begins to teach anything else, he's going to give a list of what they are if they do. Three things we need to have. Number one, wholesome words. Now, the word wholesome here is interesting because when you think of wholesome, what do you think of? When you say, well, you know, she's a wholesome girl. That, that's not what this word wholesome means. The word wholesome means right, true doctrine. It's possible to be a true church and to have false doctrine or a, a false doctrine in it. It's possible to have a false church that teaches parts of what is true. We want that which is the truth. And then we want the words of Jesus and we want that which is in accordance to godliness. Now let's talk about godliness for a moment because it's gonna be introduced again in a few minutes in the text. What is godliness? Godliness is the means by which a Christian becomes like God. God is gracious, so we as Christians become gracious. God is loving, so we as Christians are to become loving. God is merciful, so we're to become merciful. How do I know whether or not you're godly? The Bible says the hope in us, the, the hope of glory is in us and revealed to all men. But how is the hope of glory revealed to all men? As I look around the room and I start looking, I'm looking at individuals now, so if you're sleeping, wake up, okay? As I look around the room and I see you guys, I can't tell whether or not you guys are Christians by looking. There's not a Holy Ghost glow that happens. Maybe there's some of you here that aren't Christians. Maybe you want to become a Christian or you're interested in it, so you're here in church. Maybe you're a faker. I can't tell by looking at you whether or not you are. You know the only way that I can tell whether or not you're a Christian? As we spend time together, whether or not your conduct is godly. That's all. And if you find yourself in a church that says that we don't have to live godly, that we live some other way, then you know that that is a church that has false teaching, right? Now he goes on to say in verse four that this person who doesn't hold the wholesome words, the words of Jesus and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. You ever get involved with someone who is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words? He goes on to say, for which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. By the way, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Destitute of the truth, barren of truth. And then he says who these people are, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, there were some people in Ephesus that we're teaching that if you become a Christian, God wants you rich. Paul says, if you're following someone who teaches you that godliness is a means of financial gain, then withdraw yourself from them. Now, those who teach such things did not only exist in Ephesus. There is a very strong movement called the faith movement in the United States. And they teach that if you have enough faith, 
that God wants you rich. God never wants you sick. He never wants you having any problems or difficulties. Some of the most popular teachers in the United States are part of the faith movement. They're part of who teaches these things. The Bible says that in the last days, men will heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And when you turn on the TV or you turn on the radio and someone says, I want to talk to you today about being rich and God wants you rich, your ears are tickled. You go, what a coincidence. I want to be rich. God wants me rich. This is great. I was exposed to this teaching. And by the way, there's not much of that group here in Tucson. There used to be a couple larger churches back in the 80s that taught it. And they just kind of dwindled away. One of the churches actually repented teaching it and changed and began teaching a, a more solid doctrine. So the church still exists to this day, but they're no longer teaching part of the faith movement. They actually repented from teaching that. It's very brutal uh, because if you're struggling with poverty, it means you don't have enough faith. If you are sick and you don't get healed, it means you don't have enough faith. There was a gal that came to our church eventually. She had Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, she had been in a faith church and uh, they had told her that she had sin in her life because she wasn't healed. I mean, what do you do when someone doesn't get healed in the midst when you teach such doctrine? My first exposure was back in 1979. I had gone to a Foursquare church and uh, on Sunday mornings, the pastor taught and it was all pretty solid, by the way. But on Sunday nights, they brought in a satellite teaching series. When we talk about satellites today, how, how big are they? People put them on their head, you're right, they're about that big, right? The size of a plate. Back then, this is again, 79, they were the size of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> it's only a little bit of an exaggeration. The, we put this thing beside our church and it was huge. And for the first couple of Sunday nights, they had to send guys out to move it by hand to get a clearer picture. The picture was fuzzy inside, so they went out and they moved it until the picture cleared up. They brought in a guy that taught that God wanted us rich, that God never wanted us to have any problems. And one of the things that he said, and I remember this distinctly, was that God wanted us to have a Cadillac. Now I was 19 years old and I really didn't care that much about a Cadillac. But then he went on to say, God wanted us to have a Corvette. Now that I could see myself in. <laughs> Corvette, yeah. I think God does want me to have a Corvette. He said that our God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills and we are the king's kids and that we are to be rich. I heard years later somebody say that if you have Jesus in your life, then you're going to get gold. Look at Mary and Joseph. They were poor. Then she had Jesus. And all of a sudden there's wise men giving them gold. That's the twisting, the manipulation of scripture that they used. Well, when I listened to it, when I heard this guy preaching, it was pretty dynamic. I was 19 years old. I was fairly young as a Christian. I'd known the Lord for a while. I was just kind of learning the Word of God. And um, I thought, this is great. I really like this. And then I went and got my Vega to drive home. It was a 1972 <laughs> Vega. It did have diamond tuck seats because I'd done them. But this is the 70s, all right? They were really cool. Velour, crushed gold velour diamond tuck seats. It was awesome. <laughs> and um, so I'm driving home and I'm thinking about this. And all of a sudden, God brings a, a verse to my mind. You know how the Holy Spirit does that? The Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring to memory God's word. And as I'm driving home, all of a sudden, I'm just reminded of if anyone is teaching godliness as a means of gain, withdraw yourself from them. And I remember driving thinking, is that what that verse says? You know, I wasn't really all that familiar with it. 
Is that really what that verse says? And I got home and I looked it up and I finally found it. It took me a while. I finally found it, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as I read it, the Holy Spirit just revealed to me, this is not right. Now, unfortunately, that created tension in the church that I, I went to because I went back with these verses. I went back to my pastor. What are we doing having this guy teach when these things are here? And, and he created some tension. And out of that tension, we eventually left and ended up in Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. So God used it and they got rid of me. So, I mean, probably good thing on both accounts. God used it. But today there are those who teach such things and uh, not very popular in Tucson, but it is popular around the United States. And some of those that are on TV are, um, are of those sorts. And I decided I wasn't going to name names, but um, one of them wants you to have your best life now. <laughs> Clue. All right. If you're clueless, then okay. Verse six. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. So if someone is teaching godliness as a means of financial gain, withdraw yourself from them. But godliness with contentment is great gain. What kind of a gain is there in godliness? You could have nothing better. To be godly is to find real, true fulfillment. If you're empty, if you're lonely, if you're a Christian and you just don't feel fulfilled and satisfied, the answer isn't money. The answer isn't uh, some new doctrine. The answer is more Jesus. The answer is to be more godly because contentment with godliness, there is great gain. Then he says in verse seven, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. I'm reminded of Job who said, naked I have come into this world and naked I will leave. You've heard it said before, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Can't take it with you. <laughs> Jesus spoke of a man who had a, a bunker harvest and said, what am I gonna do? I know. I'll build bigger barns. And he built bigger barns and he put his grain in there and he said, I'm going to take my ease now. I'm just going to kick back and take it easy. And Jesus said, you fool, for today your life is required of you. How many of us think, oh, if I just had more money, all my problems would be solved. Anybody ever thought that, by the way? A few people rose their hands in other services. If I just had more money, I know I'd be okay. But we really know that's not true, don't we? We really know that often the richest among us are the most miserable. Something happens when you make money. You begin to live or you begin to indebt yourself according to what you have. You never seem to catch up. I just think it's the folly of humanity that we never seem to live in our means. We just always seem to live just kind of barely above where you scrape by. But here's, here's the thing. And we know this. Having money isn't going to solve our problems. However, we, we say to God, let me try. Lord, just let me go ahead, give me the money and I'll try and see if I can't be fulfilled. There's gotta be some rich, fulfilled people and I would like to try. Now, as we read the rest of this text, the problem isn't having money. If there are those here today and God has blessed you with finances, there's instruction towards the rich in the Bible. It says, let those who are rich not trust in the uncertainty of riches, but in the living God. So this isn't against being rich, and we'll see that as we continue on. It says, and having food and clothing, verse 8, with these we should be content. Now, food and clothing. I, I think that probably meets most of us here. Now, I look around, I see, you know, guys, you guys have clothes. That's good. <laughs> I assume you have food. That's good. I often would like to add to this verse. You know, the Bible says don't add to the Word of God. 
I would like it to say, having food, clothing, and a house with these be content. Or in the day we live, food, clothing, house, and car with these be content. Or the day that we live, food, clothing, house, car, iPhone with these be content. <laughs> there are certain things we feel like we need. But he says, with food and clothing and godliness, we should end up being content. For those, verse 9, who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and any, into many foolish and harmful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. Three things happen. And first of all, note that it's the love of money. No, excuse me. It's those who desire to be rich, right? Verse nine, those who desire, it doesn't say those who are rich find destruction. Those who are rich find perdition. Those who are rich find temptation. It says those who desire to be rich. So you could be really poor, but have a desire to be rich and fall into these snares. A few years ago, a good friend of mine, he was a businessman in the community here in Tucson, effective, very affluent man. And uh, he went and spent some time in Texas and uh, he began to attend a church there in Texas and God got a hold of his heart. I mean, like really got a hold of him. And he came back on fire for Jesus in a way that I'd never seen it before. He'd always been a Christian, but when he came back, the first thing that he told me is, I'm done, I'm giving up everything. I just wanna do whatever God wants me to do. And he began to get involved in ministry and he gave everything up. He quit his job and he gave everything up. But things got financially difficult. After a while, I had invited him to go to a pastor's conference with me. When I go to a pastor's conference, I try to go to two or three a year just to go be fed. And um, I like to take someone with me. And I took him with me to one of those pastor's conferences. We were in California, in uh, Costa Mesa, in a claim jumper there. And uh, he said, listen, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this whole money issue. He said, I've always wanted to have enough money. That money just wasn't an issue. I could always have money. And um, I'm struggling with this. And I don't really know what to do. I think I'm going to go back into the business world. And I read him this passage. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, destruction, and perdition. Wasn't too long before he left the ministry and what he was involved in, went back into the business world. And I'm telling you, I saw his life shipwrecked. I saw the destruction. I saw the perdition. We know what destruction is, but what is perdition? You know what perdition is? Wasted, vanity. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, is called the son of perdition. Think of the potential of Judas's life. One of the 12 disciples and yet his life was wasted. Those who desire to be rich fall into perdition. Even if you gain wealth, what does it mean in the end? Living for money is nothing. Now I tell you guys that story about my friend who to this day has had his life destroyed. I tell you that story to tell you it happens. This is not hypothetical. I hear people say of the warnings in scripture, well, they're just there and they're kind of hypothetical and, you know, really can't happen. We need to listen to this. When you desire to be rich, you fall into temptations. Now, look, we've been blessed. Living in the United States, I saw this last week, that we live, that we in the United States live in the top 5% of all of the income in the world. So if you take everybody in the world and you rank them, we fall within the top 5%. That's come down, by the way, from the top 3% or something in the, in the last few years. So things are equaling out some to fall into 5%. We certainly are blessed. 
God blesses us. And, and the Bible says God gives us abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And don't we have that experience in our lives? God has blessed us abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It's not about having money. It's about that desire to be rich. It is such a bad thing to live for. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.